Monday, and that means it's time to bring out some of the best and most memorable movies of all time, done up especially for radio on Monday Matinee. And now, here's your host, Dennis Daly. Thank you, Tom Gager. And this week, a bittersweet story that came from the pen of Thornton Wilder. It was a wonderful stage play and then a great movie. And it is one of the most produced plays uh, around high schools in the U.S. even today. Largely because it's all acting and didn't have a set and just required an incredible narrator. Well, we've got an incredible narrator and his name is Orson Welles. The name of the town is Grover's Corners, New Hampshire. Across Massachusetts line, longitude 42 degrees, 40 minutes, latitude 70 degrees, 37 minutes. First act shows a day in our town. Day is May 7th, 1901. Time is just before dawn. Sky is beginning to show some streaks of light over in the east there, behind our mountain. Morning star always gets wonderful bright the minute before it has to go. Only lights on the town and a cottage over by the tracks where Polish mothers have had twins. And in the Joe Crowell house where Joe Jr. is getting up so as to deliver the paper. And in the depot where Shorty Hawkins is getting ready to flag the 545 for Boston. And there it is. And it comes now. And so another day begun. There's Doc Gibbs coming down Main Street. Coming back from that baby case. Here's his wife coming downstairs to get breakfast. Doc Gibbs died in 1930. New hospitals named after him. Mrs. Gibbs died first, long time ago, in fact. She went out to visit her daughter, Rebecca, who married an insurance man in Canton, Ohio, and died there, pneumonia. But her body was brought back here. She's up in the cemetery there now, in with a old mess of Gibbses and Hersey's. She was uh, Julia Hersey, before she married Doc Gibbs in the Congregational Church over there. In our town, we like to know the facts about everybody. And that's Doc Gibbs now. Here comes Joe Carl Jr. to live in the papers. Morning, Doc Gibbs. Morning, Joe. Yeah, and here comes Howie Newsom delivering the milk. Get up, Ben. What's the matter with you? Come on. Morning, Doc. Morning, Howie. Hey, somebody sick? There are twins over at Miss Gorlowski's. Twins, eh? This town's getting bigger every year. Morning, Miss Gibbs. Uh, Morning, Howie. Bacon smells good. Everything all right, dear? Yes, I declare. Easy as kittens. They can be ready in a minute. Sit down and drink the coffee. Children! Children! Now get up, George. Rebecca? Yes, Mama. You can't cut last sleep this morning, can't you? Well, Miss Wentworth's coming at 11. I guess I know what's about to. Her stomach ain't what that'd be. All told, you won't get more than three hours sleep. Thank Gibbs, I don't know what's going to become of you. I do wish I could get you to go away someplace and take a rest. I think it'd do you good. George! Rebecca, you'll be late for school. Bobby! Emily! And that's Mrs. Webb now next door to the Gibbses getting her family up for the day. Charlie, you watch yourself go or I'll come up and do it yourself. I'll put away your books, Emily. You know the rules. Well, as I do, no books at table. As for me, I'd rather have my children healthy than bright. I'm both, Mom. You know I am. I'm the brightest girl in school for my age. I have a wonderful memory. I'll eat your breakfast. The Webbses have two children, little Wally and Emily. Emily's 14. And there's two over the way at the Gibbses, Rebecca and George. George is 15. Mama, here 
Why, yes, of course you are. All my children have got good features. I'd be ashamed if they hadn't. Mama, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, well, what I mean is, am I pretty? I've already told you yes. Now, that's enough of that. You have a nice, young, pretty face. I never heard of such foolishness. Oh, Mama, you never tell us the truth about anything. I am telling you the truth. Mama, were you pretty? I, yes, I was, if I do say it. I was the prettiest girl in town next to Mamie Cartwright. But, Mama, you've got to say something about me. Am I pretty enough to get, well, to, to get people interested in me? Emily, you make me tired. Now, stop it. You're pretty enough for all normal purposes. Come along now and bring that bowl with you. Oh, Mommy, you're no help at all. We'll have to interrupt again here. Thank you, Mrs. Webb. Thank you, Emily. A lot of time's gone by. It's evening now. You can hear choir practice going on in the congregational church. Hear it? All the children are at home doing their schoolwork by now. Yeah, the day's run down like a tired clock. Emily? Hello. Hello. I can't work at all. The moonlight's so terrible. Emily, did you get a third problem? Which? The third. Why, yes, George. That's the easiest of them all. I don't see it. Can you give me a hint? I'll tell you one thing. The answer's in yards. Yards? How do you mean? In square yards. Oh, in square yards. Yes, George. Don't you see? Yeah. In square yards of wallpaper. Oh, square yards of wallpaper. Thanks a lot, Emily. You're welcome. Ma, isn't the moonlight terrible? practice going on. I think if you hold your breath, you can hear the train all the way to Kampuka. Hear it? What do you know? Well, I guess I'd better go back and try to work. Well, good night, Emily. And thanks. Good night, George. Good night, Martha. Good night, Miss Here comes Mrs. Webb, Mrs. Gibbs. Some of their lady friends home from choir practice. I'll tell them, Mr. Webb, I know you want to put it in the paper. My place. Good day, Jenna. Real nice choir practice, wasn't it? Mr. Webb, look at that moon, will ya? Hate the weather, for sure. My, I hate to go to bed on a night like this. I'm going to hurry. Those people will be sitting up long hours. Good night, Mr. Webb. Good night, Mr. Webb. Good night, Susan. Good night, Mr. We'll get back in just a moment to Orson Welles and the little place he calls Our Town, right after this. Hi, it's Dennis Daly with my regular invitation to join me Monday for Monday Matinee. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a Jimmy Stewart movie I didn't like. And we're coming up on the holiday season, so you'll be hearing It's a Wonderful Life one of these days. But this week, coming up, Jimmy Stewart in a great romantic comedy called Made for Each Other. Now let's go back to our town. And now, folks, there's some more things we got to explore about this town. This time we're going about it in a, another way. Going to look back on it from the future. You know, the Cartwright interests had just begun building a new bank in Grover's Corners and had to go to Vermont for the marble, sorry to say. They've uh, asked a friend of mine what they should put in the cornerstone for people to dig up a thousand years from now. Of course, they put in a copy of the New York Times, a copy of Mr. Webb's uh, Sentinel. He's the editor at Sentinel. We're 
kind of interested in that because some scientific fellows have found a way of painting all that reading matter with a kind of glue, a silicate glue. Make it keep a thousand, two thousand years. So we're putting in a Bible and a Constitution of the United States, a copy of William Shakespeare's plays, and what do you think? You know, Babylon once had two million people in it. All we know about them is the names of the kings and some copies of wheat contracts and sales of slaves. Yet every night, all those families sat down to supper, and the father came home from his work, and the smoke went up the chimney. Same as here. And, and even in Greece and Rome, all we know about the real life of the people is what we can piece together out of the joking poems and the comedies they wrote for the theater back then. So... I'm going to have a copy of this play put in the cornerstone, and the people a thousand years from now know a few simple facts about us. More than the Treaty of Versailles and the Lindbergh flight. See what I mean? Well, you people a thousand years from now, in the provinces north of New York at the beginning of the 20th century, people had three meals a day, soon after sunrise, at noon, and at sunset. Every seventh day, by law and by religion, was a day of rest, and all work come to a stop. Domestic setup was marriage. Binding relation between a male and one female that lasted for life. Guess we don't have to tell you about the government and business forms, because thing people seem to hand down, first of all. Let me see, not there's anything else. Oh, yes. At death, people were buried in the ground just as they are. So, friends, this is the way we were in our growing up and... In our marrying, and in our doctoring, and in our living, and in our dying. And now we return to our day in Grover's Corners. A lot of time's gone by. There's uh, George up there in the window, talking with Rebecca. Get out, Rebecca. There's only room for one at this window. You're always spoiling everything. Well, let me look just a minute. Well, use your own window. I did, but there's no moon there. George, do you know what I think? Do you? I think maybe the moon's getting nearer and nearer. And there'll be a big explosion. Well, Becky, you don't know anything. If the moon were getting nearer, the guys that sit up all night with telescopes would see it first. And they'd tell us about it. And it'd be in all the newspapers. George, is the moon shining on South America, Canada, and half the world? Well, probably is. Well... Well, folks, there it is. Another night, Grover's Corners. There they are. 9.30. Most of the lights out. And now there's Constable Warren trying a few doors on Main Street. And uh, here comes Editor Webb after putting his newspaper to bed. All right, Editor Webb. Evening, Bill. Evening, Mr. Webb. By the moon. Yeah. Who's out there? That's your mother? No, it's me, Papa. Why aren't you in bed? I don't know. I just can't seem to sleep yet, Papa. The moonlight's so wonderful. You must smell Mrs. Gibbs' heliotrope. Mmm, can you smell it? Yeah. Have any troubles on your mind, have you, Emily? Troubles, Papa? No. Well, enjoy yourself. We'll let your mother catch you. Good night, Emily. Good night, Papa. I told you about that letter 
Jane Close had got from her minister when she was sick. The minister of her church in the town she was in before she came here. He wrote Jane a letter. And on the envelope, the address was like this. It said, Jane Crowfoot, the Crowfoot Farm, Grover's Corners, Sutton County, New Hampshire, United States of America. What's funny about that? Oh, but listen, it's not finished. The United States of America, continent of North America, Western Hemisphere, the Earth, the solar system, the universe, the mind of God. That's what it said on the envelope. Oh, what do you know? And the postman brought it just the same. What do you know? Well, folks, three years gone by. Yeah, the sun's come up over a thousand times. Summers and winters have cracked the mountains a little bit more, and the rains have brought down some of the dirt. Some babies that weren't even born before have begun talking regular sentences already. A number of people who thought they were right young and spry have noticed that they can't bound up a flight of stairs like they used to without their heart fluttering a little. Some older sons are sitting at the head of the table, and some people I know are having their meat cut up for them. All that can happen in a thousand days. Nature's been pushing and contriving in other ways, too. A number of young people fell in love and got married. Yes, yeah, mountain got bit away a few fractions of an inch. Millions of gallons of water went by the mill, and here and there a new home was set up under a roof. Almost everybody in the world gets married, you know what I mean? Our town, there aren't hardly any exceptions. Most everybody in the world climbs into their graves married. So, three years later, it's 1904, July 7th, just after high school commencement. That's the time most of our young people jump up and get married. As soon as they pass their last examinations in solid geometry and Cicero's orations, looks like they suddenly feel themselves fit to be married. It's early morning. There, you can hear the 545 for Boston. Here comes Howie Newsom delivering the milk. There's Mrs. Gibbs and Mrs. Webb coming down to breakfast. Just though it were an ordinary day. I don't have to point out to the women in my audience that both these ladies cook three meals a day. One of them for 20 years, the other for 40. No summer vacation. Brought up two children apiece. Washed, cleaned the house, never a nervous breakdown. Never thought themselves hard used either. Well, Ma, days come. You're losing one of your chicks. Thank dear, don't you say another word. I feel like crying every minute. Sit down, drink your coffee. Groom's up shaving himself, whistling and singing like he's glad to leave us. Hmm. Every now and then he says, I do, to the mirror. But it don't sound convincing to me. Hmm. What? Why, Julia Hersey, French toast. Hmm. Ain't hard to make, and I had to do something. I remember my wedding morning, Julia. Now, don't stop that, Frank Gibbs. I tell you, can't do it. I was the scaredest young fellow in the state of New Hampshire. I thought I'd made a mistake, for sure. Mm. And when I see you coming down that aisle, I thought you was the prettiest girl I'd ever seen. But the only trouble was, I'd never seen you before. There I was in the Congregational Church, marrying a total stranger. How do you think I felt? Good morning, everybody. Only four more hours to live. Where are you going? Just across the grass to see my girl. Now, George, you take number one. I won't let you walk in. Good morning, Mr. Webb. Well, George, how are you? I'm fine. Mr. Webb, do you believe in superstitions? Well, what superstition, George? Oh, you know about a bride and groom not being supposed to see each other on a wedding morning? 
Well, you see, uh, on a wedding morning, the girl's head just be full of clothes and things like that. Don't you think that's probably it? Yeah? Mm. Yes. I never thought of that. Girls have to be a mite nervous on a wedding day. I wish a fella could get married without all that marching up and down. Well, every man that's ever lived felt that way about it, George. Hasn't done much good. It's the women that have built up weddings, my boy. From now on, they have it pretty much to life. All those good women standing shoulder to shoulder, making sure that they're not tied in a mighty public way. You believe in it, don't you, Mr. Webb? Oh, yes. Oh, you, don't you misunderstand me, my boy. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Don't forget that, George. No, sir. Mr. Webb, how old were you when you got married? Well, you see, I'd been to college. I'd take a little time to get settled. But Mrs. Webb, she wasn't much older than what Emily is. Oh, age has much to do with it, George. Not compared to other things. George, I was thinking the other night of some advice my father gave me when I got married. <clears throat> Charles, he said, Charles, start out early showing who's boss, he said. Best thing to do is to give an order, even if it don't make any sense. Just so she'll learn to obey. And, he said, if anything about your wife irritates you, her conversation or anything, just get up and leave the house. That'll make it clear to her, he said. And, oh, yes, he said, never, never let your wife know how much money you have. Never. Mr. Webb, I don't so think... So I took the opposite of my father's advice, and I've been happy ever since. But that'd be a lesson to you, George. Never to ask advice on personal matters. George, you gonna raise chickens on your farm? What? You gonna raise chickens on your farm? Well, Uncle Luke hasn't gone in much of chicken raising. Brooke came into my office the other day, George, on the Philo system of raising chickens. I want you to read it. Charles, are I'm you think... talking about that old incubator again? I thought you two would be talking about things worthwhile. Good morning, George. Well, madam, if you want to give the boys some good advice, I'll go upstairs and leave you alone with them. Uh, now, George, I, I'm sorry, but I've got to send you away so that Emily can come down and get some breakfast. She told me to tell you that she sends you her love, that she doesn't want to lay eyes on you. So, uh, goodbye, George. Madam, I guess you don't know about that uh, other superstition. What? What do you mean, Charles? Since the caveman... The groom should never be left alone with his father-in-law on the day of the wedding, or near it. We'll get back in just a moment to Orson Welles and the little place he calls Our Town, right after this. Have you ever missed one of your favorite local shows on WAOV? Ever missed the morning chat, Mark and Mark, or even financial questions, real answers? Well, that's not a problem anymore. WAOV has our local shows on podcast and easy to get to them. Go to WAOVAM.com and click on the podcast tab at the top to find your show. It's that easy. So if you miss Vintage Vincent, legal news or views, or just the tips, listen to the podcast the next day. Go to WAOVAM.com and find your podcast. Now let's go back to our town. Now I have to interrupt again here. You see, we want to know how all this began, this wedding, this plan to spend a lifetime together. I'm often interested in how big things like that begin. You know how it is. You're 21 or 22, you make some decisions, and then you're 70. You've been a lawyer for 50 years, and that white-haired lady at your side has eaten over 50,000 meals with you. How do such things begin? George and Emily are going to show you now the conversation they had when they first knew that, uh, the saying goes, they were meant for each other. Before they do it, I want you to try and remember what it was like when you were young, when you were 15 or 16. For some reason, it's very hard to do. Those days when even the little things in life could be almost too exciting to bear. And particularly, days when you're first in love. 
And you're like a person sleepwalking and you didn't quite see the street you were in. Didn't quite hear everything that was said to you. Just a little bit crazy. Will you remember that, please? Now, they'll be coming out of high school at 3 o'clock. George just been elected president of the junior class, and it's June. That means he'll be president of the senior class all next year. And Emily's just been elected secretary of treasury. Don't have to tell you how important that is. All right, George. Can I carry your books home for you, Emily? Thank you. I'm awful glad you were elected too, Emily. Thank you. Emily, why are you mad at me? I'm not mad at you. You're treating me so funny. Well, I might as well say it right out, George. I don't like the whole change that's come over you in the last year. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but I just got to tell the truth and shame the devil. I'm awfully sorry, Emily. What do you mean? Well, up to a year ago, I used to like you a lot, and I used to watch you as you did everything, because we'd been friends so long, and, and then you started spending all your time playing baseball, and you never even spoke to anybody anymore, not even to your own family you didn't. And George, it's a fact, you got awful conceited and stuck up, and all the girls say so. You may, may not say so to your face, but that's what they say about you behind your back, and hurts me to hear them say it, but I got to agree with them a little, and... Well, I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings, but I can't be sorry I said it. I'm glad you said it, Emily. I never thought that such a thing was happening to me. I guess it's hard for a fellow not to have some faults creep into his character. I always expect a man to be perfect, and I think he should be. Do 
places we can go to. Let's go away. I'll work for you. I can keep house. Uh, you mustn't think of such things. She just nerves him, eh? Now, now, you're marrying the best young fellow in the world. George is a fine girl. Oh, but Papa... George? George. Yes, Mr. Graham. Giving away my daughter, George. You think you can care for her? I want to I try. Emily, I'm going to do my best. I love you, Emily. I need you. So, if you love me, help me. All I want is someone to love me. I will, Emily. If I'm ever sick or in trouble, that's what I mean. Emily, I'll try. I'll try. But I mean forever. Do you hear? Forever and ever. George, take this woman, Emily, to be your wedded wife. We live together after God's ordinance, the holy estate of matrimony, with our lover, comforter, honor, and keeper in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others. Keep the only unto us so long as he both shall live. Answer now, George. I do. Don't know, Finn. I've seen such a You, Emily, take this man, George, in the state of matrimony. Will thou love her, comfort him, honor him, keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others. Keep the only unto us so long as he both shall live. Answer, Emily. I do. Married 200 couples in my day. You should get it wrong. Do I believe in it? I don't know. M marries N. Millions of them. Cottage, the go-kart. Sunday afternoon drives in the Ford. The first rheumatism, the grandchildren, the second rheumatism. Deathbed, reading the will. Once in a thousand times, it's interesting. Well, let's have Mendelssohn's wedding march. summer 1913. Gradual changes in Grover's Corners. Horses are getting rarer and farmers coming into town in Fords. Everybody locks their house doors now at night. Ain't been any burglars in town yet, but everybody's heard about them. You'd be surprised, though, on the whole. Things don't change much at Grover's Corners. We're up at the cemetery now. I don't know how you feel about such things, but this certainly is a beautiful place. It's on a hilltop. Windy hilltop, lots of sky, lots of clouds, often lots of sun and moon and stars. Come up here on a fine afternoon, you can see range on range of hills. Awful blue they are up there by Lake Sunapee, Lake Winnipesaukee. Way up, if you've got a glass, you can see the White Mountains. Mount Washington, where North Conway is. And Conway, of course, our favorite mountain. Right here, all around it. Jaffrey. Other towns, East Jaffrey and Peterborough, Dublin, there, quite a ways down is Grover's Corners. Yes, beautiful spot up here. Mountain laurel and lilacs. I often wonder why people like to be buried in Woodlawn, Brooklyn, when they might pass the same time up there in New Hampshire. Over there, the old stone, 1670, 1680, strong-minded people have come a long way to be independent. Over there, some Civil War veterans, too. Iron flags on the graves. New Hampshire boys. Had a notion that the Union ought to be kept together, though they'd never seen more than 50 miles of it themselves. All they knew was the name, friends. The United States of America. The United States of America. Went and died about it.
Now, this here is the new part of the cemetery. Here's your friend, Mrs. Gibbs. Remember her? Let me see. Here's Mr. Stimson, organist of the Congregational Church. And over there is Mrs. Soames, who enjoyed the wedding so much. Out of this. Editor Webb's boy, Wallace, who was appendix birth while he was a Boy Scout. Went on a trip to Crawford Notch. Well, there's some living people. There's Joe Stoddard, our undertaker over there, supervising a new-made grave. Here comes a Grover's Corners boy that left town to go out west. Afternoon, Joe Stoddard. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let me see. Do I know you? I'm Sam Cray. Gracious sakes alive of all people. Well, I should have known you'd be back for the funeral. Well, you've been away a long time, Sam. Yeah, I've been away over 12 years. I'm in business out in Buffalo now, Joe. But I was in the East when I got news of my cousin's death, so I thought I'd kind of combine things a little and come and see the old home. Yeah, well, you look well. Yes, I can't complain. Well, it's a sad journey for us today, Samuel. Yep. Yes, I always say I hate to supervise when a young person is taken. All right, there's old Farmer McCarthy. I didn't know he was gone. Used to do chores for him after school. He had lumbago. Yes, we brought Farmer McCarthy here a number of years ago now. All right. This is my Aunt Julia. Yes. Doc Gibbs lost his wife two or three years ago, just about this time. The day's another bad blow for him, too. Joe, what did she die of? Who? Why, my, my cousin, Emily. Oh, didn't you know? Had some trouble bringing a baby into the world. Let's see, today's Friday. It's almost a week ago now. Did the baby live? No. Was her second, though. His little boy, about four years old. We'll get back in just a moment to Orson Welles and the little place he calls Our Town, right after this. Hi, it's Dennis Daly with my regular invitation to join me Monday for Monday Matinee. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a Jimmy Stewart movie I didn't like. And we're coming up on the holiday season, so you'll be hearing It's a Wonderful Life one of these days. But this week, Coming up, Jimmy Stewart in a great romantic comedy called Made for Each Other. Now let's go back to our town. Now I'm going to tell you some things you know already, and you know them as well as I do, but you don't take them out and look at them very often. I don't care what they say with their mouths, everybody knows that something is eternal. It ain't houses, and it ain't names, it ain't earth, it ain't even the stars. Everybody knows in their bones that something is eternal and that that something has to do with human beings. All the greatest people ever lived have been telling us that for, oh, I don't know how long they've been telling us, 5,000 years, and yet you'd be surprised how people are always losing hold of it. Something way down deep that's eternal about every human being. You know as well as I do that the dead don't stay interested in us living people very long. Gradually, gradually they let hold of the earth and the ambitions they had and the pleasures they had and the things they suffered and the people they loved they get weaned away from earth that's the way I put it weaned away yeah. they stay here while the earth part of them burns away burns out and all that time they slowly get indifferent to what's going on in Grover's Corners they're waiting they're waiting for something that they feel is coming something important and great aren't they waiting for the eternal part of them to come out clear some of the things they're going to say maybe will hurt your feelings that's the way it is mother and daughter husband and wife enemy and enemy money and miser all those 
terribly important things kind of grow pale around here. And what's left? What's left when the memory's gone? And your identity, Mrs. Smith. You can come down dressed for the kitchen fire if you like, but hurry. 
Oh, good morning, Mr. Newsom. Morning. Oh, it's cold. Envelope of my barn, Miss Webb. Think of it. Keep yourself wrapped up. Oh, uh, Charles, coffee's ready when you want it. Oh, and Charles, don't forget, it's Emily's birthday. You remember to get her something? Yes, that's something here. Where's my girl? Where's my Well, don't interrupt her now, Charles. You can see her at breakfast. She's slow enough as it is. Hurry up, children. It's 7 o'clock. Now, I don't want to call you again. I can't Doorstep when I brought him the milk. George Gibbs must have come over in the cold pretty early. Right nice of him. George, I'd forgotten that. Now, do that bacon slow. It'll help keep you warm on a cold day. Oh, Mama, just look at me once as, as though you really saw me. Mama, 14 years have gone by. I'm dead. You're a grandmother, Mama. I married George Gibbs, Mama. Wally's dead, too. Mama, his appendix burst on a camping trip to North Conway. We felt just terrible about it. Don't you remember? But just for a moment now, we're all together. Mama, just for a moment, we're happy. Let's look at one of That the yellow paper is something I found in the attic among your grandmother's things. You're old enough to wear it now, and I thought you'd like it. Your father has a surprise for you, too. Don't know what this is myself. Here he comes. I can't. I can't go. down at the depot has just watched the Albany train go by. At the livery stable, somebody's sitting up late and talking. Fast clearing up. There are the stars doing their old crisscross journeys in the sky. Scholars haven't settled the matter yet, but they seem to think there are no living beings up there. 
to chalk or fire. Only this one is straining away, straining away all the time to make something out of itself. Strained so bad that every 16 hours everybody lies down and gets a rest. And that's 11 o'clock in Grover's Corners. You get a good rest, too. Good night. Dennis Staley returns to the microphone with a word about our next offering on Monday Matinee. Thanks, Tom Gager. And coming up the next time you and I get together, the story of two people who are made for each other. Jimmy Stewart, the great Jimmy Stewart, stars in this hour-long production of Made for Each Other, done for radio before a live audience. So join us next week for Made for Each Other.